You're listening to Amphibicast. This week's episode of Amphibicast is sponsored by the Active Conservation Alliance. The Active Conservation Alliance is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization promoting ecosystem conservation and restoration, the sustainable use and the welfare for wildlife and human communities living in balance. With a special focus on dart frogs, many of the Alliance's efforts work towards the conservation and reintroduction of wild dendrobatids into their natural habitat. To get involved and to donate, please visit activeconservationalliance.org or follow the links in the show description. You can also text ACA to 61094. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. You're listening to Amphibicast. I'm your host, Andrew Bates. And before we get into tonight's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our newest $5 a month tier patron on Patreon. I want to give a shout out to Dan Hyland. Dan, thanks so much for your patronage. I appreciate it. Goes a long way. Helps me support the show. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to support the show, Patreon is a great way to do so. Helps me defer a lot of the costs of, you know, just the operating costs of running the show. Got tiers as low as a dollar a month up to the $5 a month tier which, like I said, get you a shout-out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. And for everything else, feel free to follow the link tree in the show notes. Take it to in-situ ecosystems. You get a 10% listener discount off a of purchase if you make it through that link. You'll also find links to the merch store and to amphibian conservation as well. So other than that, I wanted to get this out of the way really quick. I've got a great episode. I've got three guests. Count them. One, two, three. Uh, three amazing people. We've got a lot to cover. So I want to get into it right now. All right, everyone, I want to get started. I've got a great lineup tonight, and um, just so everybody knows, we've got, I've got two amazing zookeepers, and I've also got uh, Jack Small. Jack's been uh, kind enough to orchestrate this. I have Chris Buttermore, and I have Carl, Carlos uh, Galvis, and we're going to be talking about primarily uh, some conservation efforts that are going on at Cali Zoo. And um, I want to just give you guys a chance to everyone kind of inter- uh, introduce yourselves. Uh, we've got um, we've got three people going on here. It was kind of kind of pretty cool that we could pull this off. So, uh, first off, Jack, thanks for coming on and, and you know setting this up. We talked about it. We talked about this a little bit last time I had you on the show, and I was wondering if we could just go around the room. Everybody, kind of just introduce yourselves and you know say who you are and, and where you're from and 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 what's up. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. I'm happy to do it and happy to be back on the show again. Always fun chatting with you, and yeah, it's gonna be a fun time tonight. For sure. So, yeah, Carlos, go right ahead. Okay. I am Carlos Galvis. I am the head of the population department at the Cali Zoo. Uh, I am the leader of the conservation program for uh, Ofa Galeman's uh, poison frog. Uh, yep, and I'm Chris Buttermore. I'm uh, the curator of amphibians at the Dallas World Aquarium, currently a PhD student at Auburn University studying uh, stress physiology and how it can help uh, the conservation efforts at Cali Zoo with uh, the Ophagalamani. So there you go, people. We've got we've got a, a full house. It's going to be in, going to be an interesting episode. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Carlos, I, I kind of I think maybe we should let you kind of take the lead here because we're going to focus primarily on Ufaga species at Cali Zoo. I was wondering if you could tell us about yourself, though, maybe give us some background in terms of you know, what, what, you know, what your earliest experiences were with amphibians and how you ended up in the position that you are now. Oh, the Cali Zoo uh, has been working with amphibians for a long time, but we have uh, an agreement with the Wildlife Conservation Society about that we were trying to find what, it, where, 
were the best strategies for the conservation of the amphibians in Colombia. But uh, one of the strategies we, that we proposed was the ex situ strategies. But I wonder uh, if the amphibian labs in, in the Cali Zoo uh, is useful for this kind of the strategy. But because I don't want uh, to spend uh, a lot of money in the ex situ strategy if the, uh, the in situ was uh, the most important at the present. Uh, in order to do now, to, to know that, uh, I meet the experts uh, in amphibians in Colombia in 2017. Uh, we were met uh, in order to know uh, about what is the situation of the amphibians in our country. Uh, with all the information that we have, uh, even uh, I inv invite uh, to amphibian R representatives um, in order to know what is the situation, uh, we met all the experts. Uh, after that uh, meeting, uh, we got enough information for to know that the Oofaga lemon's poison frog was the most critical uh, situation of the amphibians and the only possibilities to rest on the uh, extinction was to release them uh, some individuals to, uh, to the wild. But at that moment, we didn't have a population of Oofagan lemons uh, poison frog. Uh, was a concern because the populations are very, very small and an endemic, uh, it's an endemic species that inhabit in the Anchicaya region, a very, very special place in Colombia. But uh, its population was very, very, very small and it's not possible to recover the population even if you stop all the threats that the species have. Uh, but no one in Colombia, in the zoological institutions, uh, was keeping uh, these species. Uh, two months after, one uh, appeared in the Bogota airport with some uh, uh, lemon's poison frog. Uh, was they, uh, in that bag? In that pack were, uh, were another species, but some of them was uh, lemon's poison frog. But the authorities uh, know about the project because we established an alliance between different institutions that include the universities, uh, the local authorities, uh, the uh, another institutions like uh, Wildlife Conservation Society, um, and we had the support of uh, the Zurich Zoo also at, at that moment. And, and the government knows about the project. And the government said that frogs, those frogs has to be sent to the Cali Zoo. And they sent some of them. They, some of them died before to arrive to the Cali Zoo because the authorities uh, spent a long time trying to get the permits. Uh, but we start with a few of them. Some months later, uh, one person was captured in the airport uh, in April of 2019, uh, 2099. Uh, one person from the communities was captured 
in the airport uh, with uh, around 400 frogs and 80 of them was uh, lemon's poison frog uh, um, and the authorities sent us the, the frogs to us and we start uh, a breeding program at the Calizu. But at the same time, we were, or well, we start uh, some projects in order to get information about the was uh, about the 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 best uh, loca locations for to release animals and to know if uh, the location is prepared for to receive them uh, if they have food there if the weather is good if, all all the conditions of the habitat in order in order to know if it is possible to release animals in some places that that was extinct the species um, so. In last year, oh, uh, we start to get some healthy problems, the management problems. Um, we lost some of them. Uh, so uh, I I get contact with, uh, or, or Christopher contact me, and I will get, get contact with the Dallas World Aquarium, and they help me with uh, some uh, support uh, because uh, Christopher has a very very huge knowledge about the to keep uh, frogs in captivity, and we start to to improve the the conditions of frogs, and they start to breed. And the last year in August of two thousand, uh, we released the first one, the first group. Uh, we released uh, 28 at the first uh, event, and some months later we released uh, 20, 28. Yeah, 28 again. Um, now we are monitoring the population that we are releasing, uh, but until now we have to do uh, more releasing, more release uh, events, uh, but. For now, the the population that we release, we are monitoring that uh, that population, but uh, it's a very difficult to monitoring because they were very very small frogs. Because uh, in order uh, we, we wanted to know if it's possible that they gain the capacity to get toxins from 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 his uh, the food in in the wild. Uh, and they are so small and it's difficult to monitor um, but the communities is involved in this project the local community and they are help us to monitoring the frogs that we release um, until now we know that they are surviving but we don't know exactly how many of them uh, it's possible that in the next group we are going to release more uh, largest frogs in order to prove if they survive, it's not a problem to get the toxins maybe in the future. Uh, it's more easy for us uh, to put some transmitters, um, transmitters, yeah. yeah, transmitters of them, uh, in order to follow them and to get more information about the, uh, the if they are surviving or not, and if we need to change something in the protocols 
but it's not only the world of the Cali Zoo. Uh, is is another institution involved in that. Is uh, in Colombia is an alliance, but uh, is uh, the Dallas World Aquarium involved in that also. Is 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 a is a world of many institutions uh, that we are trying to say. Uh, to save this species from the extinction. Now, I, I have actually, I have a lot of questions. Um, I was wondering though, if if Chris, you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and how, what was your relationship in this? Because I know I've got the three of you together. How are you involved in in, in all this? Um. Well, I kind of thought I wouldn't say this on here, but I've I've always been critical about amphibian conservation. I feel like it's always done more for the for the photo op than for the result, um, and uh, I thought there was a better way. It's pretty obvious, um, even according to the IUCN, that the Ophegalomani and the other Ophega as well, but specifically the Ophegalomani, because as Carlos mentioned, the the habitat for them is so restricted. And when you go there, you really see it. I mean, you can feel it first, but you can see it as well. And um, that that more needed to be done, and that if this if if enough was done, if enough effort was put in in a really at the right time, that an actual difference could be made, a measurable difference. And uh, Carlos and his team have been killing it down there. Uh, I was able to go down and help them coordinate, but um, I've always been adamant that I'm to play a minor role, a supportive role. Uh, because the driving force is the, these communities in Colombia that are doing all the work. Uh, Carlos and his team at Zoo Cali doing all the breeding, figuring out how to get resources on there. Uh, and it's it's my job to facilitate um, that project. So uh, the Dallas World Aquarium, our uh, director, said, you know, get down there and figure out what they need. Um, and it turns out, you know, uh, I feel like in the United States and in Europe, we've, uh, we have figured out um, how to do the captive breeding um, for a financial purpose. And that's not a bad thing if we can apply it to a conservation uh, action. And so that's what I wanted to, that's, that's what I could apply at the moment. And that's what I helped with. And they have taken the advice I've given them. They've innovated on that and run on with that. And they're having just measurable success. Um, um, with their Ophegalomani project, oh, that is admirable, and I, I, I do, I do agree with you that uh, conservation really can't just be a one-way street. And I, the, um, the photo op analogy that you use, I, I do agree with that too. I think that there needs to be more of a recognition of what actually happens day to day, rather than just, you know, a, a simple success. Because there's a lot of successes and a lot of failures that go into this, obviously. Carlos, I I, I want to ask you some more about um, the the releases and the strategies. But I was wondering if first off, you, you mentioned ex situ conservation and you mentioned in situ conservation. For the listeners, could you maybe explain what each one is and what the pros and cons are between the two, and why you chose the approach that you did? Yes, uh, the conservation is all day, but uh, it depends on the action that we we take. Is we call is in situ or ex situ strategies. But ex situ is when is a strategy that we use when we are keeping animals in captivity. But the, but you need to establish uh, what is the methodology for to in in situ is when you are doing things in the field in the place that the uh, animals live there. 
but we are doing both of them. Finally, it's, it's a concern with different strategies. Uh, when, you, we, you, when you breed them in the zoo, in a lab, it's an ex situ actions. Uh, but we are mixed, all of them, in situ and ex situ, and we support all strategies because the most important is that finally uh, you, you have to establish an, um, a population that uh, can survive for itself in the, in the wild. Is the most important thing. So, do you do you have an assurance colony at Zucali as well? Like, do you have something as a as a backup too? We are focused now in in just in uh, of Agalemani. I have another species in my zoo, but there is another kind of uh, strategy for them. The, uh, the most important is the conservation of amphibians, but the different species uh, each species has different requirements. But uh, some species we are keeping for exhibition propose, uh, proposes uh, or for education proposes. That is the strategy because it's important that the visitors knows about the amphibians, knows about the problems of the amphibians. But uh, in the uh, exactly in the in the lab, uh, we are keeping or we are focused on Ophagalemani uh, because. This species has a very special requirements, and all the under all the amphibian lab uh, is has all the equipment, all the conditions only for uh, all lemony population that we are keeping. Unfortunately, uh, we are the only institution that we are keeping this species. Uh, I mean, I mean that in 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 the zoos. The war zoos uh, is because uh, our government uh, doesn't permit that we send animals uh, to outside of, of my country. But in my uh, another zoos in Colombia doesn't have the uh, at present the cap, uh, the capacity for to keep in uh, the best conditions uh, this kind of frog because they are so uh, they they need a very special care. Uh, and, but it's necessary to establish another population and other institutions because uh, uh, for genetics and demographic issues is very important. Uh, yeah. That that's my next question is um, is the the genetic integrity because um, from what I could gather from what you told me so far you received animals from a, a seized shipment and my question is there's to my I mean I'm I don't. I'm not a, a huge Lamani person, but from what I understand, there's several different locales and different color morphs. How do you distinguish between those in terms of what their genetic footprint is, and how do you place them in the wild accordingly, as I guess as as close as you possibly could get to their point of origin? How do how do you determine that? Yeah, uh, we did. We decide to to work with the red morph because we have a scientist committee that is involved uh, uh, another scientist in this. Uh, we, we took uh, genetic samples, and also I have an institutional institute book for this population, but I get information from the sample that we took, and we decide to throw the, uh, the institute books and the PMX uh, 
that is a program that we use for to uh, to take decisions about the what is the best pairs uh, to establish in some places and who, uh, sometimes we exchange and uh, frequently the, the pairs in order uh, to release animals that is no uh, that, that has, doesn't have a relationship between them uh, in order to maintain the very high diversity genetics diversity in the population that we are releasing uh, we uh, use uh, genetic samples and softwares that help us uh, for that and as far as the uh, very, the, the care specifics, uh, you mentioned that Lamani has very, very specific requirements as opposed to other species. For the listeners, can you maybe describe like what what's so specific and and like what what the requirements are and why they need to be kept that way? Yeah, uh, these species inhabit in a very small area, uh, as I told you. It's a Sanchicaya. It's a uh, very special place with a uh, unique uh, characteristics, um, uh, unique uh, humidity, temperature. It's a uh, it's an special ecosystem uh, that is not find you can, you are not going to find in another place of the world. Is the reason because you this species inhabit only there. Um, you, when you are keeping animals in captivity, uh, or I prefer to say under professional care, <laughs> because it's, it's different than captivity. When you are keeping this kind of animal under professional care, you choose to put the same conditions that you are finding in the nature. Uh, for some species, are more flexible. Um, this species, if you change something, they get sick and it's, it's, they die. <laughs> it's, but it's a big uh, responsibility that we have because if we lost the population, we are losing uh, all the possibilities for to risk, rescue this species from, from the extinction. Unfortunately, for many years, frost was uh, getting from the wild because uh, in order to to send to United States to Germany, uh, because it's a hobby uh, to keep them uh, as a pets, and I, I don't know uh, for uh, if it's not easy to breed them for in some places, but but I need more information about it. But uh, many of them, uh, thousand of them, was. Uh, catch by the, some uh, members of the communities and part of the this uh, illegal trade to another countries um, what is it the one yeah, and his habitat is destroyed um, the uh, illegal crops another thing is is happening in that place that put in risk this uh, the population of these species I don't know is Christopher wants to complement that I said about the yeah. care is of of yeah. I'll come in there because there's um, another variable that people tend to forget when we're talking about this project. I know there's a lot of people that keep Lamani, 
keep them um, and, and are probably maybe hear what Carlos is saying and, and think, uh, well, I've, I've kept them in a, you know, exoterra, small, tall, and, and, and bred them just fine, even when it's hot, just like my Ovega uh, histrionica. I think one thing to remember there is that the frogs that Carlos is working with are wild caught. Um, they are confiscations from the wild. Uh, people have illegally taken them from the wild and tried to export them mostly to Europe and the United States. They were confiscated and then brought back to Cali. So what he's dealing with is an animal that was not selected for captivity in the same way where you have, um, you bring in a wild caught group and you have a 50% die off. That means what you've just done is you've selected for captivity. You haven't selected for almost anything else. You selected for individuals that are hardy, that are adaptable, and the same reason that you find dart frogs in Hawaii, Jackson's chameleons on the mountains in Hawaii, you find panther chameleons in Orlando, is because those animals have been selected for captivity. It's not a good, it's not a great picture of what the population as a whole is. Um, and what Carlos is dealing with is a much different genetic picture because these animals <clears throat> in Colombia, he's not dealing with the shipping stress, he's not dealing with um, he has access to all the natural um, um, variables, any, whatever you want, whether it's sediment or food or lighting, day, day and light structures, uh, temperature, humidity, all that stuff. He's only a couple miles away from where these things exist. It's about a three-hour drive, four-hour drive, but it's only a couple miles. Um, but that's something that people should keep in mind. I could hear it in my head that you know people saying, well, I can breed Ophagalamani. It's not that hard. That's true. With the genetic subset that you have, a very hardy uh, floorboard that you can build off of, absolutely. Ophega lamani are great. A lot of people can enjoy them. But what we're talking about here is something that must be done under professional care, something that has to be, uh, like you said, the Zim system, these stud books, they recommend the, these these genetic pairings. And... Um, and a bigger, big enough founder population, I think, is what I think uh, Zoo Cali uh, has from the confiscations, um, and and I think that that's what I would I would ask people to keep in mind. Oh, I I understand. I thanks for clearing that up because I was um, I was wondering about the specifics of it, but the way you explain it now, I I get it. It's almost like um, rather than having animals that are selected for captivity being at the the top of the ice, the tip of the iceberg, you're working with the whole iceberg, even the amount that, that is not, uh, you're, you're basically trying to recover the amount that would never thrive in captivity under any normal circumstances. So I, I, I follow you. that, that, that kind of clears up what I was curious about. Um, another thing I, I wanted to ask though, cause I, Carlos, you mentioned this earlier about developing, uh, toxicity. Um, what can any of you tell us about Lamani toxicity and what value does it have um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Like, uh, for example, like Terabilis is is obviously ex- extremely toxic, so I could see that as being a, you know, a, a very, very distinct benefit. But uh, I'm unfamiliar with any tox any toxicity for Lamani. Can you just one of you maybe just kind of give me an idea in terms of how significant that is to their survival and how do you measure that in the long term in terms of whether wild caught um, animals can regain that once they're reintroduced into the wild. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of information about another species that we know that they get the toxicity uh, from the 
the the animal that they feed uh, in the wild, the insects and another uh, uh, kind of invertebrates that they eat. But uh, we don't know exactly the the lemony, uh, but we suppose that it's the same way that another species that uh, we have uh, information. But uh, we release a small one, a small frogs, uh, post-metamorphs, uh, but uh, not Hadoops animals. In order to know, or in order to, we suppose that when they start to eat the natural uh, uh, food, uh, they are going to get uh, the toxicity. But we don't have information yet if it works or not. We are in the process. But as I told you before, uh, one of the problems we have is when we release the very small frogs, to monitoring them is very difficult. Uh, we are release we are releasing animals in a first place that we uh, choose in order to know all these questions. Uh, what is the best option that we have? If, if what happens if we release more adult animals? Is going to be more uh, victims or predators, or 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 is better to release uh, young animals? Uh, it's some questions uh, that we need to uh, find the, the answers. But this, uh, uh, we are in the process. Maybe yeah. on the way we are we are going to know what is the best way to to do this kind of release uh, uh, releases to to the wine. And if I can chime in real quick, yeah. And um, yeah. I talked about it before when we uh, when you had me on the podcast before Dan. But um, this is only the second release. Uh, there have only ever been two releases of Bufaga Lamani that have been done, and they've both been done by Zoologico de Cali. Um, and so there's this is very new. This is a, a new thing that's been happening. So as Carlos and his team and everybody's doing it, you know, everybody's we're still learning along the way because this is only the, there's only been done two times. Yeah. Yeah, I, and this is the first time. That we are releasing uh, animals that, uh, if, uh, from the captive breeding to the wild in Colombia. Uh, as I know, it's the first time that one poison frog is releasing to the wild. Uh, uh, there are many questions that we are, need to answer uh, with ourselves, uh, uh, from the, uh, the researchers that we have in the field. Also. I'm also curious about the. I, I guess I'd, you'd call it the red tape that you'd have to go through with something like this. I mean, obviously, this is something that you'd have to get permission from the Colombian government, whether it's at the national or at the local level or whatever. How do you, how did you go about orchestrating, you know, the the process of making this a reality? Like, were, were there permits involved? Did did you have to go before a committee, or like, how how did you ultimately get permission to be able to to do this? No, the government is involved in this project. And the local authorities also. Uh, at the beginning, uh, I by all the possible institutions that we need to get get involved in this kind of project because I know that 
uh, we need permits, we need uh, information from the academy, from the universities, uh, support from other institutions. But uh, it's very important to involve the government. But if it's important to involve also, the most important member of this project is the communities, because they live where the frogs live. But the government is is member of this alliance. And I get all the permits from them. And they support this project. It's easy for me inside of Colombia. But the problem is when I try to send some animals to another zoo from uh, outside of Colombia. That is, that is my problem. But it's something that I needed. We need to grow up the population and uh, you have many institutions involved in that it's more easy for you to maintain the genetics diversity in just in one institution is very difficult that is the problem that i have now uh, the only population is skipping in the zoo is that the problem i can definitely see that being an issue and it's one of the things that I, I think about and i know this is one of those issues that can be a little bit um uh you know, a little sensitive and a little contentious i know that many many countries throughout the world take a tremendous amount of pride in their native wildlife and i i get that i respect that and i know that certain countries have very very strict legislation determining what can and can't be exported out of the country and i i often wonder at this point in the game if that is really the most effective strategy to keep everything in one location, because heaven forbid there was some sort of a, you know, if there was a storm and the facility, something happened to the facility or there was a fire, you'd really be in a position where you wouldn't have anything else as an assurance colony anywhere outside of that, that certain point. I mean, that's just one of those things that they just, that's kind of my opinion in terms of how that might kind of compound things. What are your, what are your thoughts on that about, um, you know, that, 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 that approach by many of the countries throughout the world? Oh, uh, there are, there are other countries around the world that are interested to be involved. That, that's yeah. your question, right? Uh, we, we have support even from that, uh, from another zoos around the world. The Zurich Zoo, they, for for many years, they uh, they support us. Um, they uh, now I have still fiscal support from the Zurich Zoo, but I can send uh, frogs to them. <laughs> but they are not interested in that. They are interested to the the, the the conservation of the species. And uh, for example, the Dallas World Aquarium are interested in in to 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 save this species from the extinction. I have support, but the support that I have from them is a technical support. Uh, that is a reason that, uh, yeah. that is because uh, the Christopher sometimes uh, uh, go to Colombia and support me in in the lab, and sometimes he. He goes with me to the fields, but that I know there are other institutions that are interested to 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 give support to this project, but uh, mm. the interest is uh, of them is not only to get frogs from us. Is it? But but I know, as a leader of the of this project, that I need another institutions institutions that can keep 
or uh, these frogs uh, in, in in another uh, facilities. But the problem is that uh, the Colombian government, uh, we need to get more or to have more information uh, or give more information uh, to the government members in order that they know what is the rule of the zoos in the conservation strategies. Because I think sometimes they, they feel or they think that oh, this, you send frogs to outside of the country, the genetics or the biodiversity is losing from my country and it's a zoo business or something like that. But we need to, to establish a strategy that the old government uh, get more involved uh, and to know more about what is the uh, the, the import, the, the, the role of the zoos uh, in, in the conservation strategies. Yeah, Dan, I, I was going to piggyback on that because it's... Um, the, the big picture would be that in order for in order to have kind of where you don't have all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, it's diversifying within Colombia, getting getting the zoos and the other major cities, which are major zoo, zoological institutions with with very good people working for yeah. them, that you expand there within the country. And that way you're not only cutting down on bureaucratic red tape you're cutting down on on shipping costs you're cutting down on the stress of the animals um because the reason that a lot of these kind of land worship whether it's ecuador peru uh venezuela brazil they've all shut the door to these exports because it's it's almost better to have no exports than to deal with the floodgates i mean you look at what people did with the ofegalamani when no one was looking, the effort that these people went through flying from thousands of miles away, smuggling 400 frogs in their carry-on, that's that's the kind of stuff that happens um, if you kind of take your eye off the ball. So it's better to have a closed-door policy while you're figuring out the groundwork for the conservation stuff. Possibly in the future, it can open up. Um, you know, if you look at how fast this program's progressed in the last couple, in the last two years, you know, you've gone from practically nothing to all of a sudden now it's it's producing frogs for release um the idea that it can't build up into something uh in the future is is uh is not out, outside their own possibility but it has to be the will of of the people who who live in colombia it can't it can't be americans or europeans it can't be anyone dictating that it has to be the will of the people in colombia and uh and they they're passionate about this and i think they're not going to make a rash decision about it they're going to grow it at a correct a correct pace and i think um i think we're seeing something of an evolution in amphibian conservation something that is maybe not international but in uh multi-institutional which is what carlos has been saying you have various universities in colombia that are coordinating on this very smart people dedicated people who are out there in the field setting and then you have the the in situ uh communities who are who are the people on the ground who want to who are who are being brought onto the team of instead of when someone goes and flashes 500 american dollars for 100 lamani you can get them to say no because they're supported they're supporting the ofega lamani conservation right so it's the fight against illegal exportation 
And the best way to do it sometimes is just a closed door policy. Okay, I, I get that. Yeah, I wasn't aware that there were multiple facilities that would be willing to take this on. So, I mean, obviously that, that does make sense. I mean, Colombia is a fairly large country. What's the attitude towards amphibian conservation among like the general public? Like, what, How does that compare to um, other, other species that might be a little bit more, uh, I know like certain people kind of are, uh, you know, big mammals and birds and whatnot. I, I frogs kind of fall below the radar sometime. What's the the public opinion been over this uh, in the past few years? Oh, uh, you mean in Colombia? Yes, yeah, in Colombia. Okay, this uh, uh, they they are very they support a lot uh, kind of activities, but it's not common this kind of. Uh, strategies in Colombia uh, to do it. Uh, um, yeah, uh, we know because it's, it, for for the people, it's more common to watch uh, TV programs uh, about the conservation of pandas or uh, tigers and other charismatic animals. But uh, in the, in, in, with uh, all Alemani they have it's a beautiful frog. It's a charismatic <laughs> frog. <laughs> but uh, if we we are thinking, what happened is not a, a charismatic frog. Maybe the people doesn't care. Uh, we need more education uh, about it in in our country, because the people care about the beautiful and charismatic uh, animals. But one important thing for us is that the local communities are very, very involved in this project. And they are, all the thing that they do uh, is the, is the lemon's poison frog has a imaging, image, image, yes. Uh, for example, uh, all the products that they sell is always the, uh, the lemon's poison frog on there. It's, it's like a mark. And now they, they have, um, the most um, the, the, the frog is the gave the, to them uh, an identity, and they are they are very committed committed with 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 this with this project, and for us is the most important member of this uh, project. Uh, yeah, and another thing, just kind of a cool thing, um, just to add in for I'm not super familiar with um, the general attitude towards population uh, to towards um, population of frogs and just frogs in general um, of the Colombian people. But one cool thing is I've actually got just a Colombian coin right in front of me, and there is a glass frog on it, so that's kind of cool. And I think things like that. Are- no, that's okay. <laughs> I think things like that are important just to get people aware of, you know, just that these frogs even exist. Because I'm sure there's people out there that just don't even know about them. And, you know, and just the classic, like, how can you care about things you don't even know about? And that's such a, you know, kind of a cliche thing that people use in conservation. Yeah. But it is true. And so kind of cool. Like, yeah, some of the, you know, there's wildlife on the, you know, some of the Colombian money and stuff. And so that's cool that there's, you know, some pride in that and that they do care about it. And so that citizens are are, are aware of it and everything. Yeah. Yeah, Colombia is a very high biodiversity country. Um, the people appreciate so much uh, uh, our biodiversity, but uh, it's, uh, 
but at the same time, we have a big problem with the legal trade, not only uh, the international legal legal trade. is We have uh, inside our, our country a uh, big problem with the trade because it's a cultural situation also that the people wants to keep some animals as a pet, uh, some wild animals as a pet. Um, but it's not, it's not that situation for the frogs. <laughs> it's more common parrots and monkeys. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, but it's something that is cultural. But the 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 problem uh, of, of frogs is another kind of problems. But in the case of the Ophagan lemonins, is the uh, illegal trade. But it's an international illegal illegal trade. Um, but yeah, uh, I it's a problem because it's. A third business, illegal business in Colombia that can uh, produce more money after the drugs, uh, 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 drugs. Um, yeah, the, the uh, illegal, illegal, illegal drug trade. Yeah, exactly. And the and the art, uh, and the guns are the another place. But the problem is that the old prisons are full of people that committed another kind of mistakes. Uh, but for the authorities, they are more concerned about this kind of uh, uh, crimes, but they don't care so much about if someone is doing in the, doing something illegal with the wildlife because the, it's, it's not uh, effective to put in jail uh, more people just because has one uh, wild wildlife in, in 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 his house or is is doing something illegal with them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's uh, it's it's it's, uh, it's another hard problem that we have in our country. The person that was uh, caught uh, with the frogs uh, in the airport trying to send them to Germany uh, after. Few hours was free. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. So to yeah. sum up and make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Well, so you're, there are more pressing issues and that the authorities are concerned with, like guns or yeah. drugs, and so crimes aren't treated as seriously, so people can get away with it a little more easily. Yeah. And as far as the species that you exhibit at the zoo itself, I mean, obviously. The zoo in and of itself is going to be a great public relations angle for this whole conservation issue. Do, do you exhibit any of the Lamani or, or, or other species? And like when people come into the zoo, how much of a draw is that? Because I know like my local zoos, certain exhibits, just people just absolutely love them. And it's great because you have that as a good, like I said, a good public relations situation. Like, Do you, do you exhibit any of the frogs? And if so, what's... um. Like what? What's the public's reaction to them? Is it is it a popular exhibit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we exhibit them. Um, was was the most successful uh, uh, exhibit because is because they are so beautiful. <laughs> they are attractive animals. Um, we exhibit uh, another species of uh, frogs also. Uh, we we try to teach to the old the old 
visitors about the conservation uh, in general of the amphibians, but we have one enclosure uh, only for Ophagalemans, uh, Ophagalemani, and we teach uh, to the people about the project that we are doing, and, uh, and we try to show uh, that is another institution involved in that. Um, it's an education opportunity because the people that come to the zoos uh, is the first, or, or for some kids, is the first uh, uh, opportunity for to get uh, direct contact with the nature. It's not the same that you, when you see uh, one animal in a picture or in TV, that when you go to the zoo and you are uh, watching uh, the animal uh, face to face, is 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 is, uh, is you can give more impact. Um, and if you show that with a together with a good education strategy, uh, is going to be the best. Uh, the people can get more. Uh, uh, awareness about the situation of the amphibians and i've got to say the display tanks that they have at zoo cali are phenomenal they yeah. are how big would you say that there yeah, are several they're, hundred they're, yeah they're probably close the lamani tank is probably close to a thousand gallons yeah, yeah. it's For got sure. five or six lamani in there and they use all the space um, um plus they're very the, well built the phyllobates terribilis the anchicaensis the yeah. the Know. and large glass fronts to be able to view them all very well and yeah they're they're very impressive tanks they're super cool and then um at the dallas world aquarium too they've got uh, i think we talked about this last time as well they've got um all five species of large obligates now on display and so they're available there and i think chris if i'm not mistaken they're you guys are the only ones that have all five species only institute in uh, in the uh, right. US, yeah. which is I'm super not, cool. I'm I'm not too sure about other zoos. I think the National Zoo has uh, one of the species. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's another zoo in the world besides Zoo Cali that has the Ophegalamani, Carlos. Zurich uh, Zoo. Zurich Zoo has it, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we have it. Um, we have a lot of information available with the QR code under their exhibit. Um, our exhibit is nothing like the one at Zoo Cali. I tried to get them as big a space as I could. Um, they're that kind of prize, but we also wanted to take that time to to show off some of the other um, uh, Ophega from Colombia. Let's be able um, to introduce them to people because a lot yeah. of people aren't even aware about them. Yeah, a lot so. of a lot of times I go up there and uh, um, see a kid looking for it. If I say, "Well, he's sitting right there calling," and then you let them know kind of what's going on, you show. Of all the species and they leave their sense of uh, not just something you know we talk about charismatic species it's very hard to when someone looks at a even a pygmy marmoset something that is more rat than monkey almost <laughs> sometimes. but when they look at it they see something looking back at them and uh it's easy to do that with mammals it can even be easy to do that with birds uh, reptiles and amphibians tend to get the short end of that stick if you have a massive crocodile that could kill people that's that's always something people want to see a venomous snake that could just that could just destroy people everyone loves to see that stuff that get people excited about these animals and the best thing that that carlos hit on is you just educate them yep, you educate them about what these things are, are dealing with and and where they come from and how invested the people where they come from are in their existence and that's definitely a growing trend in colombia and uh Alice, 
um, that have come to the aquarium know how special that exhibit is for uh, for our conservation efforts and and uh, you know if they ever come to the Dallas World Aquarium and, and they want to know something they can just ask for me I'll come up there I'll give a whole speech about it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, uh, Jack was uh, in Cali Zoo uh, uh, last year, uh, help us to improve uh, our culture uh, for of Alemany also. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the I definitely yeah I got to help out with it. It was super cool, and they're doing a fantastic job over there. Like the displays that they have are just yeah, they're amazing for sure. Great way for people to be introduced to them and get to see these frogs up close. I'm waiting for the bus to finish driving by. Yeah. I was sure everyone listening at home. Um, I, there, the three of them are all in one spot and there's, I guess there's some traffic going on. We were kind of, kind of razzing each other before about what was going on in the room, but I, I got to give you guys a lot of credit. You, you guys definitely, um, accommodated uh, accommodated my needs because the sound sound quality so far has been great we'll just Good. Let, Good we'll let the one guy on the motorcycle slide i'm curious <laughs> about the the behavior now what have you obviously you've observed these animals for for a substantial amount of time what have you observed about their behaviors that we didn't otherwise know in the past and is there anything unique about them as opposed to other species in the genus or dendrobatids in general I, I can I can talk about that one because I'm writing a literature review about yeah, them. Yeah. So I've been tearing through basically anything that's ever been. Um, yeah. uh, the unique. This comes from the origin, um, the discussions as to uh, whether they originated in South America, pushed into Central America or vice versa. But what you find is the adaptations to the unique climate, the uh, the more consistent temperatures and, and humidity, and even within the, uh, I think most people who have had the Ophega species is what I'm going to call them. Um, if you've had a Bahia Solano, you'll probably realize that they don't really need this kind of humidity or the cooler temperatures that a Lamani does, mm -hmm. right? So these are behavioral differences that whether or not people have actually thought about it, and I know that the people who keep the large obligates are a sharp bunch, they likely have. And and uh, But knowing that that plays into geography, and if you look at the geography of Columbia, which is an which is an amazing uh, uh, map to look at. You can pretty much plot, you know, what what each species needs uh, based on where you find it. Um, you know the the Central American uh, the Central American Ophega. They do a lot of clutch guarding uh, the by the males, um, which is an, an investment in in offspring care that the South Americans that the South American species just do not. And that's probably uh, due to the high relative humidity. They don't have to worry about the kind of uh, the desiccation of egg clutches yeah. that you would have to worry about in, in uh, Central America, start getting into Panama and uh, Costa Rica. Um, the diets uh, across Ophega, they're pretty uh, consistent. Um, it, it looks like mostly the South American species, uh, they're now finding basically all toxins relevant to the toxin profile of the species any of them, including Lamani, which is a very different toxin profile than the other uh, large obligates in Colombia, all pretty much found in ants. 
which means, uh, and Stefan Loaders, if he ever listens to this, he pointed this out back in 1999 that you really can't use the toxin profile as a way to use a That's falsely trophic. It comes from the plants. The plants produce the toxins. The ants adapt to them. Yeah. And then the, uh, the Lamani, the other obligate species, they're able to absorb those. Yeah. So that, that um, I mean, the call dynamics is, is something mm-hmm. that people dive into with yeah. – um, speciation and and whether or not that's a good idea that's that's an opinion for if you want to do the tear into the literature it's it's definitely worth the read but um you know the whether an animal has um the same call duration high the pitch of the of the notes the um you know the 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 volume the decibels um they're all very interesting um not something that i can draw something clear out of but um you know, there's there's just it's difficult to get to these frogs in the wild. There's a lot of captive observation, but there's a lot of old observations on behavior. Their reproductive behavior is obviously the most fascinating thing about them, course, yeah. and can teach us all kinds of stuff about the evolution of of paternal care, maternal care, uh, and and the past that those go down. And one other thing too, of course. Everybody knows and everybody loves the large obligate walk. That's one special thing that sets them apart. You know, if you've, I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. If you've seen them before, that's just something fun about them. I thought I'd toss in there. And uh, another thing too, if for people that are keeping them too, and what's so cool about some of the exhibits, especially like at Zoo Cali, that the size of them, it's so cool to get to observe the frogs, just be frogs in a big space like that and try to replicate you know, their natural habitats and stuff and get to observe them. That's one of my favorite things about them. So just a little little piece of advice for anybody looking into getting into them or just whatever, give them as much space as you can and just, you know, try do a nice tank to get to observe them because they're so fun to watch. And that's, I'm sure everybody can agree. That's why one of the main reasons why we love them is just getting to watch our frogs, you know. So thought I would throw that in there as well. It's definitely something that there's a lot of interest in. I mean, periodically I'll kind of run like a little survey or something like that on Instagram just to see what kind of topics yeah. people are interested in. And large obligates consistently is at the top and just people yeah. just seem to have this. I'm serious. Yeah, they, they have this appetite for, totally. for large obligate information. And I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, obviously there, there is, I mean, obviously you guys have shared a tremendous amount of information and, um, I'm sure there isn't as much out there as there is regarding other species, but I think maybe just the kind of the, the mystique about them also, like, like you mentioned, like th- that, that Lamani walk and for sure. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of that has to adds to that mystique as well. But, um, it's interesting hearing cause you kind of lump them all together. I guess to like the average person, you, you look at a dart frog and you don't necessarily get all the nuances of how how different they are. I mean, all the species that I keep, when I actually spend time and look at them, they're actually very, very different. Of course. Yeah, for sure. So Carlos, what's the the next step in the conservation project? What are you looking to accomplish, say within the next year or the next five years? Okay. The next step is, uh, we are planning to, uh, release more, uh, frogs to the wild. Uh, we want to uh, release, or, or the, the goal is to release uh, at the at the place that we uh, chose before uh, at the first time. Release at, at least 100 frogs there, but we are preparing another place 
process for to release another population, another frogs, in order to reestablish the population. And uh, when it's, it's a long term, uh, uh, this project, uh, we are work the next step is to continue or, or release uh, activities uh, in that place, but we are. Uh, we are going to release in another places that we select, uh, we we choice. Uh, there are four more, four four more places uh, until now. But this is is probably that uh, we decide to release in another uh, another places. Uh, Difference than we the the four that we chose before. Uh, the we are going to stop to release at the moment that we know that the population is 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 stable and they can they can uh, uh, survive for itself. Uh, the, all the frogs and the population is is uh, is then. then Number we want to gain, um, is yeah, yeah. But we don't know what is what is going to happen in the future because uh, we know that some process or some projects uh, that involve release animals uh, is not successful. But we hope that this is going to be a successful project. Is <laughs> we hope. But uh, the results or the outcomes that we have until now uh, show us that it's, it's working well. <laughs> but that is, we are in the process. We, we don't know what is going to happen in the future. And as far as replenishing the, the breeding stock, which we, we discussed earlier, obviously there's, there's very specific conditions to that. Uh, I think you mentioned the, the initial batch or whatever it was uh, frogs that were confiscated are you continuing to receive confiscated frogs and like how do you plan to maintain the genetic integrity of your assurance colony if you're no longer receiving frogs from seizure seizure uh sorry i'm stuttering uh like seized shipments like how do you manage that collection in the long term if this goes into you know a 10-year or a 20-year long project uh, we have a breeding program uh, that we take account uh, the, the different generations from the, the first frogs that came from the confiscations. Uh, but we are not thinking uh, that we need to more uh, frogs from. Uh, because if that happened, it's because something is wrong in our project. Because uh, we, before to release animals, we were working with the communities, and we are we established some strategies in order to stop this uh, the, the 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 illegal trade problem. Uh, now, the members of the community are involved in that, and they. Uh, the the uh, the the people that used to 
uh, get animals from the wild, members of the community, they are, they are working with us now. They are members of this project. And they, uh, uh, I, I, I think their strategy is working well, but uh, we get more frogs from the illegal trade. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a very bad news for us. No, it's a good news for us. But uh, we are not planning to get more animals from the illegal trade because it's... it's, it's and you have a good genetic stock and um, you, a good amount of frogs in your facility too. Do you know how many how many pairs of lamani do you have? Do you know off the top of your head? Because when I visited, there were dozens. There were there were yeah. lots. You know, we're not talking yeah. like three, four pairs here. There were I think it's like that, I think, dozens of pairs. I think yeah. it's sixty three adults. Yeah, yeah. And then it's yeah, it's innumerable. Yeah. Offspring. So yeah. there's already a really good stock that's being worked with. So. Yeah, so that's good. You know, there is a good genetic population yeah. that yeah. is being worked. With. Yeah, um, the next generations we are going to breed also together. Uh, we exchange continuously the pairs. Yeah, smart. Too. So yeah. good stock to be. Yeah. yeah, good stock to be working with. Yeah, yeah. We hope to can maintain this uh, genetic diversity in long term, but uh, but maybe in the future we are not going to need more the this captive population and. Is because the 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 work that we are doing with the communities uh, in the field uh, in in situ is is working, and uh, that is the moment that we can know that we help to save this species from the extinction. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I'm always just curious about what the the long term strategies are because conservation efforts. I mean, it, it's. I mean, it's not really. A, I guess you can't say it's really a, a recent thing because there's been different efforts, you know, throughout the world over the past millennia. Some of them for strange, yeah. some of them for strange reasons, and some of them for straightforward reasons. Yeah, I, I always just wonder about what the the long term is because I, I often worry about issues like with habitat fragmentation and yeah. Yeah. natural disasters and things like that. I, I, I just I, I always wonder just what the grand scheme of thing is because it's kind of just um, one of the, one of those things that. I don't know. I'm maybe I'm not. It's one of those things I always think about is uh, yeah, long, long term, sure. long term solutions. I guess. Yeah, of course. yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, we're kind of at the end, but uh, Carlos, I wanted you to just give the listeners a chance to uh, anything that you wanted to share about Cali Zoo. If people are interested in in visiting, or if there's any way that people could support or get involved with the type of conservation efforts that you're doing. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we are member of the EACA. Uh, uh, is 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 the we have uh, high standards. Uh, um, is one of the the most important zoo in in Colombia and is one of the most important zoos in South America. Uh, we have the seventy percent of uh, animals are native species. Uh, but is we try to, or we are, we have uh, different conservation programs. Not only with the lemon spoils of frog, we have another kind of conservation programs. That, so, but uh, this uh, conservation program for Ophaga lemony 
is special because it's the first time that we are releasing animals to the wild, but we have another kind of activities with that another species. But Colombia uh, is one of the most diversity around the world. And the, the people that can go to the Cali Zoo has the opportunity to know more about the biodiversity and the fauna that we have in the in Colombia. Uh, yeah, 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 and is uh, I I invite the people to visit us because uh, it can support uh, all the activities uh, we do in order. To to preserve the natural resources in Colombia. And Chris and Jack, is there anything that you two wanted to share before uh, before we wrap up? Uh, um, I mean, yeah, just I'm happy to be on here. I think this, we had a great conversation. This is awesome. Um, Carlos, is there anything that if people want to reach out to you to learn more about Zucali, um, is there anything like a good website to visit or an Instagram account, a social media account, anything like that? What's the best way if, if people want to kind of learn more about oh, we, the zoo and, and what you guys are all doing? We have the trace, uh, uh, Instagram page. Instagram account, okay, yeah, yeah the Instagram, Instagram page, page cool. One of the, yeah, and we have a web page also. Okay, I can cool. give you the... Yeah, the, for sure, yeah, and if people are interested in checking it out, I'm sure, yeah, you guys have lots of content on there and... For them to learn more and everything so yeah awesome cool um yeah uh, and thanks for having us on it was really important for me to get uh carlos here so everybody could hear kind of what's going on in colombia uh, to save these species that we're so passionate about um i have a lot of ongoing research projects with the ofega i'm hoping to um you know be releasing things uh here probably within the summer well, i'll actually have time uh, possibly with a trip to Colombia tied in. Um, I would uh, recommend that if anybody has suggestions to things that they want to know about the Oofega, whether that's uh, things that have or have not been investigated yet, uh, that they can email me at my uh, Auburn, e Auburn email, which is cab0247 at auburn.edu. Um, again, uh, knowledge is, uh, is, is always a benefit in conservation. And while I enjoy loving questions, um, sometimes the knowledge is, is something that we need to figure out. So, but, um, thanks again. I uh, hope to, you know, be back on soon and kind of update on some things. Uh, frog days. I know this year is in McKinney. Uh, we're here in Dallas, Texas right now. We're actually in Frisco, which is right down the street from McKinney. Um, if you're planning on coming to Frog Days in October, please come by the Dallas World Aquarium. Uh, uh, you know, we love to have froggers. It's something we've chosen to specialize in. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can get a lot of people, get a lot of good conversations started in there. Absolutely. Thanks again. Well, I want to thank the three of you for taking the time. It's been very interesting. I, um, I'm always curious about in situ and ex situ conservation efforts. And the, the large obligates, as, as I said earlier in the episode, is a topic that it's gaining so much ground. And it's one of those things that people constantly ask me about. And I'm not, I really don't know much about them beyond, I mean, I'm, I've obviously learned more as the, the podcast has, has uh, continued to go. But 
Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I really enjoy hearing this type of content and, uh, I'm really thankful that the three of you were able to come on. And I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm honored to be able to have the three of you on at this, you know, <laughs> on the one episode at the same time. I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I like doing these round tables. Yeah, for sure. It's been mm-hmm. super fun. Thanks so much for having us, Dan. And yeah, hopefully people are able to learn something and, you know, learn a little bit about what's going on out there and continue to, you know, We'll continue to keep doing the work we're doing. And yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad we could share it with you. Thank you so much for having us. Well, it's been great. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to share it with me and the listeners. It was made for a really interesting discussion. So, all right, everyone. Again, I hope you all took away a lot from this episode. Uh, We covered a lot of ground. Again, you know, be sure to check out. I'm going to include some links in the show notes if you guys are interested in, in finding out more. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. I did. I know the the obligate uh, content is something that it's everyone's nuts. Everyone's nuts for obligates. And I hope that this uh, uh, give you guys something to tide you over until the next time. I'd love to have everybody on everybody in this episode. Of course, I'd like to have you guys back at some point. Uh, we can touch base in the future on some new developments. So other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Check out everything in the show notes and I will catch up with you guys again next time. <laughs>